Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From roommates to co-hosts, this is The Back Check with Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner, your go-to destination for New York hockey and NHL news. And now it's time to drop the puck. Here are your hosts, Brendan Azoff and Stefan Rosner. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Back Check. My name is Brendan Azoff. With me, as always, is Stefan Rosner. And today's episode is really just, you know, a big Rangers Islanders breakdown. The Islanders with a big win last night against the Boston Bruins, the big bad Bruins, who were what, 9 0 1 in their last 10 games. And I know you're going to talk more about the Islanders' success against them this season, but we watched the Rangers play two games against them. Very close games, right? I mean, most teams don't think that the Rangers are on the same caliber as the Bruins, but they proved that they could hang with them. They're just one goal short in both those circumstances. But there's a lot to dive into regarding the two teams' status moving forward. The Islanders starting to look like themselves a little bit more, which I'm sure has all their fans breathing a sigh of relief after a rocky road for the first eight games. Rangers are still that inconsistent young team, but they have promise. So it, it's a fun time for New York hockey. I think that. You are going to have a little more fun on this episode than I am, but how you doing today, buddy? Doing good, doing good. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody no. that does celebrate, and to people like Brendan, better Thank luck you. next year. I got my Valentine right here, this black coffee. Yep. <laughs> yep. So before we dive into Islanders, uh, Bruins, Rangers, Bruins, let's get Tony D'Angelo talk off. Quickly off the show because we're I'm kind of over him, but at the same time, he did speak Brendan to the media for the first time. Yeah, I mean, this was a very interesting interview conducted by Larry Brooks. First time that D'Angelo has uh, pretty much spoken out in public after that whole uh, waiver and debacle that ended the NYR tenure of Tony D'Angelo. But he basically said that he's misportrayed in the media. Um, And probably so. I think a lot of people feel like their persona is misportrayed. He never helped himself, right? He was always very aggressive, very far right. But we do live in a country where you're supposed to have free speech. So regardless of your political views, 
you should be allowed to express them. And that's pretty much a constitutional principle. So he felt that his political views had people kind of misportraying the type of character he is. And Larry Brooks interviewed Mark Stahl, who played with him for two years. Mark Stahl said that he was never showed any racist intentions. He was a great guy in the locker room. We've heard numerous stories about him being a good dude in the locker room. Keandre Miller said that whole thing was false and they got along well. So it kind of does lead you to believe that there is a lot that is kind of clouded judgment that people are just assuming and it's their opinions. But again, he didn't help himself. And I think it was the right move to move along from it. But it's good to see that some of the really negative stories that were kind of thrown out there and kind of, you know, oh, we got sources, won't mention any names, but those were false. And it really was just that one incident, the tip of the iceberg. And hopefully he gets another chance to prove that this article that came out where he's not racist, doesn't have those negative intentions is actually true. I mean, yeah, we got played by the media. Happens all the time. You get a story, you think, oh, that's interesting or it's really bad. Let's jump on it. Let's spread it. And it's spread like wildfire. Clearly, clearly speaking with Kondra Miller, he, that never happened with stealing the puck and not giving it to him. Never had an issue before. Yes. We know that he said the slur, um, years ago. And does that make you a racist? That's not for us to judge. That's, you know, you could think what you want at home about his opinions and beliefs, but he's never had an issue with an, a black team that he's had in the past. He's, I mean, we saw the video of his dad and his dad said some pretty messed up things in that video. And if you yep. want to believe or not that Tony Angelo stems from that, cause it's the fact that's Tony Angelo's dad. And if his dad grew up saying that stuff, of course, Tony Angelo is going to say that stuff until he goes into the world and realizes, wow, I can't do that. So I blame the dad, wholeheartedly blame the dad, but Tony D'Angelo is his own person. He's a young adult, and he said he's made mistakes. The good thing is he said he's made the mistakes. Now the question is, does he get another chance somewhere else? It should help. The story should help because it's showing that no other team's not going to bring on someone that's a known racist or you know, a bigot or someone. They're not yeah. bringing that into their organization. It's, it's just a guy that made one mistake uh, this year with his teammate, and... No, going back, it was a bad goal. Thank you, I give you up, but you don't speak to your goalie like that. So I agree, though. Based on what we've heard now, I do hope he gets another chance. I just think that, I know, you get freedom of speech. That's one thing. But just remember where you are, the platform you have. There's some okay. crazy thing you want to say that probably is going to make you look like a bad person or make you, people think that you support something that you don't. You might not want to share it on Twitter or wherever he is now posting about that stuff. That stuff you keep to yourself, keep within your family members. Don't spread that because that's the reason he got in trouble. He had to say things that were, you know, above and beyond beliefs of other people. And he made it really public. And when that happens, you're going to get criticism. And then it's on the internet forever. And we all know how athletes have gotten in trouble in the past. So again, hopefully Tony D'Angelo, you know, matures a little bit and gets a chance somewhere else and has success. And then the Rangers get something good in return for him. Yeah, I mean, nobody can sit here and say we've never said anything that we regret, right? I think that that's extremely naive to say. So I went to college with you for four years. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard it it all. No, I mean nothing like that. But at the same time, it's just we're all humans. We all make mistakes. And I think that he was so young when he made his. And yeah, he was suspended twice in the OHL. Only one of those instances, which is one too many, sure, was for the use of a slur against a teammate. The other one was for abuse of an official, which happened twice in his career. Um, but he and that Georgiev, it, uh, yeah, I mean, he and Georgiev both said that it was a heat of the moment thing, that they were just really pissed off after that loss. And we talked about the circumstances there. It was another, the third straight one goal loss to Pittsburgh. It was a goal that probably shouldn't have gone in, and, and D'Angelo 
said something and a goalie's going to react to it in that moment. So listen, really, really just bad circumstances that kind of paved the way for the next opportunity to have a D'Angelo incident, if you will. But uh, I think that we have to realize that no matter what his spotlight is, he is allowed and, and he is entitled to his opinions in this country. I think for his sake, he would be better off not silencing himself, but monitoring himself. I think that instead of having direct access to his own social media account, he should hire a professional to help him with it because you could have your beliefs. Sure. That's one thing. I mean, I don't have the same political views as you all the time when it comes to certain things, but we're still amicable because we don't go at each other's throats about it. If he can post what he wants to post and show support to who he wants to show support to, regardless of whether we think it's right or wrong, if he could do it in a professional manner, I think this whole situation gets avoided. I agree. And I know someone that is looking for a social media job. That'd be a perfect fit. Who? Donald Trump. The, yeah, no. Anyway, that would be the right. worst bit. Don't. <laughs> Done with the politics. You did speak about a weak goal that went in. And speaking of weak goals, did you see the goal that Jordan Everly scored on Tuka Rass last night? Oh, my God. I was so peeved off by that goal because, if, first of all, the save that Rask made against the Banajad, right? Did you see that save with the glove? Yes. Unreal. All right. Zabanajad's got to bury that, but that's an unreal save. And then I'm watching this game and you go, I see your tweet. Everly scores to make it two one Islanders. And I'm, I'm out. I'm in Florida. I wasn't watching that game. Didn't watch the Friday game for the Rangers. So I'm a bad, you know, person for that, but I pull it up on my phone and I just started hysterically laughing because this guy looked like a, you know, Patrick Waugh against the, the Rangers that first game they played. And now all of a sudden that was squeaking through his blocker, but he didn't play terribly in that game. Eh. This is probably one of the weaker games I've ever seen Tukaras play. Not with the goals allowed. That's a bad goal. But yeah. during the game, the Islanders, the Islanders did pepper him like crazy. 42 shots on goal. Coming into this game, Islanders win this game 42. But coming into this game, the Islanders were averaging 30 shots on goal per game over their last three. So they get 42 last night. But Rask, from that goal forward, he was bobbling his rebounds. He was losing the side of the puck. Pucks were knuckling on him. Everything was very awkward. Turnovers behind the net. Did not look like Rask, and the Islanders made him pay. So you're yeah. looking at this game, a lot of great things for the Islanders. A lot of not-so-great Mayfield struggled yet again. A few defensive breakdowns, Marchand's goal to start the game, and Patrice Bergeron's left wide open, creeping into the slot. They're not missing. They're just not. Yeah. See, this is the difference between the Islanders and the Bruins. That happens to the Islanders where they're left wide open. They might score. Those guys, Patrice Bergeron's shot on freaking real inside the post but he had all the time in the world from the slot to release it so the islanders made a few costly mistakes there Volmov stops um 20 to 30 great game for him but the biggest thing is islanders extend their point streak islanders now have a six game point streak going barzal now has an eight game point streak going where he has four goals and six assists over that span pajot has got three goals in two games komarov it's a two-assist game. Yes, Leo Komarov had two assists, one on Pajot's second with a shorthanded goal, which was a nifty pass under the defenseman's stick before Pajot went on the breakaway and scored. Yeah. Filthy. First time he's had two assists in a game since January 2nd of 2016. Lula Marillo in the win gets his 1,300th NHL victory. The power play is three for their last four as they scored to give Allen's a 3-2 lead. I mean... And they beat the Bruins for the second time this season. The only team to beat the Bruins twice this year in regulation. The Bruins right now are 10-2-2. Two, two. They can thank that little two in the middle for the Islanders. A team that have 
in the past, destroy the Islanders. Last year, when we were working in Bing, I remember I was trying to live tweet the game, listening in my ear while I'm doing work. They played the Bruins on Butch Gordon Jersey retirement and got not shellacked. They were just dominated the whole game. So to see the Islanders have a good performance against a team that usually has their number shows me that when the Islanders play their game, they can beat every... If you could beat the Bruins like they did last night where they dominated for the majority of that game, there is no team in the NHL that you can't beat, so there's no more excuses when you beat a... Oh, you face the Lightning. No, you... And the Islanders have beat the Lightning in years past, especially with Thomas Grice in that. I mean, the Lightning aren't anything special like we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals, though. How, how that changes in the playoffs. Yep. But this Islander team right now is now in fourth place. They're tied with the Capitals for third place point-wise, but the Caps have one less game played. It's been a great ride right now, and to beat the Bruins like that, and they go into Buffalo for two games, amazing. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the Islanders' top players stepping up, and that's been the problem with the Rangers so far, is that has not gotten going. He just can't seem to find the back of the net. And with Artemi Panarin getting banged up in that first game against Boston, they really needed him to come through, and he had every single chance, which I guess you can say is optimistic, but it comes to a certain point where players like him, Lafreniere, Kako, no matter how young and how promising they are, you gotta, you gotta, you get paid to score. You get paid to put points on the board and they haven't done it. Uh, I mean, Lafreniere has one point on the season. He's got one goal and that just doesn't cut it. I'm sorry. I, I think that he looked good in some games. I think he's looked bad in others, but I know he's young and it's his first year, but you gotta, you gotta contribute. You can't be, you know, an empty zero across the board every single night. You got to do something. And uh, it, it's really tough to watch right now because I know they're only four points behind the Islanders, but it kind of feels like it's a lot more than that, especially when they keep losing one goal games. And yes, there is a ton of promise considering, like you mentioned, the Bruins are 10-2-2, right? Only one team in the Islanders has beaten them in regulation. The Rangers took them to OT and lost because of a turnover that led to a Marshawn breakaway. And like you said, he doesn't miss. And then they lost one nothing. So they were one goal worse than this team that is evidently consistently one of the best teams in the NHL, right? And they've competed with the Islanders. They've beaten the Caps. They have played against every single team so close, razor-thin margin between them being a playoff team and them being not a playoff team. And all you can, you can look at all the things you want. Their defense has been great. Right, it's not otherworldly, but guess what? They've done the job. It only comes down to their offense, and they haven't produced. They have two goal, three goals, right? Three goals in their last three games. They got shut out by the Islanders, and then they got uh, no. They have two goals in their last three games. They lost. They lost three to two to the Bruins, and then they lost one nothing. Yeah, and they lost two nothing the game before at the Islanders. So they have two goals in their last three games. You're not winning a single NHL game doing that, unless you're playing a team like the Senators. You wouldn't even beat the Senators. You can't score against them. If well, if you can't score against Matt Murray, that's a separate issue. Hey, hey, he's day to day right now. He could be year <laughs> to year. Uh, he's not a good goalie, but they need their big players to step up. And you could talk about positives, positives, positives. I know the Rangers fans, and and we have to be realistic. Listen, I said they weren't going to make the playoffs. I'm glad that they're in these close games. That they're not getting just walked over. They're not a pushover team by any means. Everyone that plays the Rangers has to be expecting a tough battle because you will get it. They, they can play physical. They can they have skill, but they need their big names to step up. And wow, what a difference Artemi Panarin makes in that roster. I mean, we know how good he is, but when you see a team just get pretty much completely shut down without him in the lineup, 
it realizes how impactful he is. And hopefully he's just day-to-day, but day-to-day in a 56-game season, it, it weighs a lot. And I mean, he's going to step up. I mean, Anthony Bavillier was day-to-day, then he was on IR, and he's still not back. And I hate to say it, he's going to have a spot when he comes back. But Dal Cole in the second line has played so well. Yesterday he played 13 minutes and 24 seconds, two hits, but hard working on the puck, created a ton of chances. The second line and the third line yesterday for the Islanders was the best they had played all year. you got to credit Leo Komarov again. Leo Komarov playing alongside Pajot and Wallstrom. And I guess, I know Bavilia has a spot when he comes back. But Komarov was put on waivers yesterday. And you don't have to be sent down to be put on waivers. It's all for this taxi squad and just the money reasons. So it will come up. But the way that line played last night, you just you don't want to sw- – when things are working, you don't want to change things. And the question because did Dal Cole – has Dal Cole done enough in Bavilia's absence to get a spot in this lineup? You probably say yes. The issue is – Wallstrom's played well, and if Komarov's going to play like that, and you're paying Komarov that much money, and he's going to make good plays. He made very good plays yesterday. He, he got credit with Pajot's goal before they watched the replay and decided that Komarov never touched it. It maybe should have been Komarov's goal since he whacked at a wide-open net uh, and just didn't score the goal. But anyway, he was great. So the question becomes, okay, where does Dal Cole go? And maybe he replaces Wallstrom on the third line, but you don't. it's, it's very, very trying. Thank God I'm not a coach making millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Besides financially, that would just mess my head. Too many decisions to make. Look at Josh Bealey's struggles again, and you put him on the third line. But then every all this chemistry and everything just gets discombobulated, and the Islanders are winning. So what do you want to do? It's tough. The question: Maybe Bovillia doesn't come back right now. Maybe he's still hurt. Who knows? He's practicing, though. He practiced by, with the team last practice. So... You hope he comes back soon. He was very slow to start. So it depends. You know, Brennan, would you say, like, there's such a short leash this year with, you know, if Bavillier comes back and he's slumping and he's doing terrible. I know he's not a veteran like Josh Bailey who's been here forever. But is there a chance that Bavillier doesn't play? I, I don't think there is a chance of that happening. I think one of the other guys comes out. But, again, it's a short season. If things aren't working and you're not playing well, how do you stay in this lineup? The leash should definitely be shorter. I think that there's no question about that. My thing would be is depth scoring has been something that's plagued the Islanders over the last couple of seasons outside of, you know, contributions from the fourth line when they get them. It's it's very rarely do they have a consistent attack with all four lines. If Bovillia comes back and Dal Cole looks good on that second line, why not put him on the third line? Try to get three lines going. And then as soon as you, you know people get hot, then you start to mix around as we've seen Trotz do anyway. So it's not like there's a one, two, three, and four. They have a, a line that's the first line. Then after that, they kind of just all rotate. So why not put him on that third line? Try to get Pajot going. Is Pajot playing on the third line still? Yeah, center third yeah. line. So put him there. Get him going. I mean, like he's you said. Three, he's got three goals in two games. Exactly. Pajot, so, so he can get Beauvillier going then too. Yeah, it's like You got to put Beauvillier with some. We know the skill he had. Listen, I saw it throughout the whole postseason. Yeah. I'm not an Islanders fan by any means, but I enjoyed watching him play because it was – he was dominant on the puck. If you can get that type of spark going from him, it boosts Pajot. It boosts Barzal because now the other teams have somebody else to focus on. So I think he has to get back in the lineup, but it doesn't have to be on the second line. Put him on that third line. There's a guy there that I've seen score four goals in a game against the Rangers in a postseason game. So I don't like him at all, but <laughs> he, he's pretty damn good at uh, hockey. And I think that it would be cool to see those two play together because Pajot hasn't really had that type of offensive talent on his wing this season. 
It's true. I mean, Wallstrom's been getting chances. He looks great. He's making smart plays. He's just not scoring. And Wallstrom, for him to stay in this lineup, he's got to be a goal scorer. And that's why Bellows right now is not in because he's trying to maneuver things around. But Dalcoa's played better. Bellows doesn't have a goal in the year either. So it's tough, tough decision. But Brent, in the, the win against the Bruins last night, Islanders lost the face-up game again. Only won 37% of their draws. A uh, 64% goes the other way to the Bruins. They out-hit the Bruins 36 to 27. I mean, the Islanders just, quite frankly, looked like the Bruins last night. They played a Bruins style, a gritty style, getting getting to those loose pucks, fighting. And the great thing they did was they cycled. And it's crazy what happens when you cycle and get your defense involved. Pulak looks great. You know, he hasn't scored a goal in the season yet. or um, Yeah, he hasn't scored a goal in the season yet. But he's getting those pucks in the net. They're getting tipped, deflected. Goals are going in. So at the end of the day, do we really care? As long as the no. puck goes in the net. So Islanders power play, when the two games against the Sabres were postponed, the Islanders and head coach Barry Trott said it, we worked a lot on special teams. And special teams is three for four on their last four opportunities. I mean, that's 75%. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, well, 100%. Yeah, it does. But if Islanders can, <laughs> if Islanders can add an element, because it's not even happening, they're not having a lot of chances in games. They're not drawing penalties. They had one power play yesterday. One power play the game before, and I think two power game power play goals, uh, two power play opportunities, excuse me, the game prior. They're just making the most of their opportunities. This is an Islander team that, in the past, has not had a lot of scoring chances but they were capitalizing at a higher rate than other teams. So we're seeing that again. And when it, again, it comes down to getting this team ready for playoff hockey. The power play was not good in the bubble. If you could add that element to your game where the power play is going to be consistent, and the good thing is they're keeping it simple. Pass, pass, shoot. That was our like, motto when we played hockey. Pass, pass, shoot. Or whatever, what was it? Pass, pass, shoot, shoot, whatever it was. Pass, pass, shoot, shoot, score. Yeah, I mean... Keep it simple. The Islanders keeping it simple, getting bodies in front, and they're scoring goals. They're not trying to do too much creative stuff. Or as long as not peeking between two guys and dishing it off. But I don't know if you saw it last night. Anders Lee's pass to give the Islanders the lead to Barzal on the power play with about uh, late in the third period it was fantastic. He waited, yep. waited, found Barzal, and Barzal shot on, on slow mo, looked fast. And this is crazy. Barzal is scoring goals at a much higher rate than he was last year. And obviously he's a point per game player this season. I think we're going to see a lot of those, those top players on each team are going to be point per game players. It's just, that's the nature of this season. But if he's going to be scoring goals and he's going to be shooting it, he makes the life of the defenseman pretty much impossible to stop him and read him because he's either going to shoot it or pass it. And he was one dimensional coming into this year. Yep. He showed a little bit of a scoring touch last year, but it was more, all right, he, he's passing the puck. He's just going to pass the puck. And now if he's scoring at a rate that he's scoring now, how do you contain him? You, you don't. You don't. And I I, I want to go back to the power play point because yeah. three for four, right? And all of a sudden they're, they're on a point streak. So yeah. there's a saying in hockey that you win the special teams battle, you win the game. And more often than not, that's very true. And the Islanders are starting to do that. The Rangers power play is at 11.5% right now. They can't yeah. score. And that's why they're losing hockey games. And if you came into the season and you looked at me and you told me the Rangers would be 28th on the power play, but sixth on the penalty kill, I would have laughed in your face. I would have said, there's no way their penalty kill is going to be sixth. But hey, you take Jack Johnson off the penalty kill and all of a sudden they're at 84.4% on the season. Real head scratcher there. Um, 
but they're defensively actually look good for the first time in forever. Offensively, they can't buy a goal. And right now the Islanders, who are always pretty good defensively, are starting to heat up on their special teams, and it's paying off on the scoreboards for them. I think that more people, especially you know people in the Rangers organization, have to look at Quinn and say, something's got to get switched up here on this power play. I don't know what it is. Obviously, they have no Panera in the last couple of games. He's been in and out. You know, he's banged up when he went on the third period power play there, so he wasn't really effective. Had a bad turnover that led to a shorthanded goal in the first game. You Something's got to get switched up. Their mindset has to be to put the puck on the net, put bodies in front. I, I know that, you know, these teams like the skilled outside thing, but when you're struggling like this to score, have Adam Fox sneak a wrist shot through and just have two, three people in front of the net. Don't worry about this whole spacing out thing. It hasn't worked. Just throw the puck and get a gritty goal. You get one, they'll start to flow. I think we have to see that. Like you just said with the Islanders, pass, pass, shoot, shoot, score. Crash the net, put bodies in front of the net, get a gritty goal. Stop trying to get a pretty goal. I hate that stuff. Whenever I see them going on a two-on-one and start finessing passes like Buchnevich tried to do in OT that led to the game-winning goal, put the puck on the net, man. Shoot for his pad. Get You're, you're an NHL player. You can hit his pad and give a, that guy a rebound. Don't try to sauce it past McAvoy. Come on. Like, it's just simple plays like that, that they lack the intelligence right now. And that's being the difference maker between them winning one nothing and losing one nothing. The Islanders are the opposite right now. Going from the Islander-Ranger game to the Islander-Penguin game where they lost um, Thursday, I did realize the Penguins got a body in front on Varlamov every chance they could. It made his life difficult. And the Islanders losing the shootout, but the tying goal, the tying goal by Malkin with 18 seconds to go in regulation. Two bodies in front. And then I thought back to it. I don't remember at all the Rangers getting a body in front of Varlamov. And that's why he was so dominant against them because he saw everything. His rebound controls or the tracking ability was just Varlamov looked like a superstar. He looked like a brick wall. But that's because the Rangers did not get bodies in front and make his life difficult. We saw in the Penguins game how hard it was for Varlamov. Yesterday's game against the Bruins, they didn't do it as much as the Penguins, but there were times where Varlamov went down and you could tell, as a goalie myself, you know right away if a goalie saw a puck and Varlamov was freezing a lot on every shot because he didn't know where that puck was. And it just makes today's day and age in hockey, a lot more goals are coming redirections, tips, dirty goals in front and screens. That's how you beat these goals because they're so big and tall and they come out and are aggressive. If you don't get bodies in front, you're doing yourself a disservice. You just got to create chaos, right? So exactly. Colin Blackwell is not the biggest dude by any means. I think he's 5'9", all right? His first goal with the Rangers came because he got in front and got a tip. He's not screening the goalie. The goalie could see over him, right? He's not that big where he's causing vision problems, but he got to the front. It adds an extra layer to the shot, and he got a piece of it, and that's how you score. Pavelski scores. He made a living doing that, right? And we know that that's elite-level hand-eye. I'm not saying anybody on the Rangers has, even, even though Kreider led the league in deflected goals for a long time. So why isn't he going to the front? Like, There's something there that really just makes you scratch your head because when he's going well, he's in the front on the power play. He moves with the puck and he tips it so well. When he's going bad, he's always a second late to the side. I've never seen a more bipolar player in the league than Chris Kreider. But when you have a power play struggling, he has to be the focal point. I'm not saying he has to be the focal point with the puck. But the shots have to go through him. As a defenseman, you want to say, I'm putting the puck through Chris Kreider's chest right now. And at the last second, he's got to move. That's what your target is. Your target as a defenseman from the point is not picking a corner. There's too many bodies in the lane. You want to hit your guy in front 
make him make a tip, make the goalie make an un, an unwanted save. Anytime he's shooting from the outside and he could see it, a goaltender is going to eat that up in the NHL. Is Zibanejad set up an OV spot? It it depends. They rotate him and Panarin there. When Zibanejad I mean, sets up there, he's shooting. When Panarin sets up there, most of the time he's passing. Because, yeah, the Islanders' power play looks so much better when Kulak's on the left side and the OV spot are creeping down at the top because he just has such a lethal slap shot that it's just so hard to contain. Yeah, well, so does Zibanejad. The problem is he can't buy a goal. If there was a goal on sale at the 99-cent store, he wouldn't be able to afford it right now. That's how bad he looks offensively. Last year's Mika Zibanejad, with that chance he had on Tuka Rask, 10 out of 10 times it goes in. How about, that chance, how about that chance he had on Varlamov on that two-on-one? Yeah. That goes in, too. I don't know what's going on. I, I personally think he needs a haircut. You'd definitely be weighing him down. I could 100% see Listen, that. Listen, last year was a little shorter, 41 goals. Now it's like touching his backside. He's got to trim it a little bit. He does look good the last two, three games. He's getting these chances, which is promising because he wasn't. But at the same time, chances mean nothing, right? You don't win a game by chances. You win a game by goals. This is what I keep saying about you know people that are saying Lafreniere is progressing and looking good. Progression is great. We need some contribution. Contribution is what makes an NHL player successful, not progression. You can only progress for so long. Kako looks good this year defensively, and I'm very happy he's made strides defensively. But you got to contribute offensively, especially when somebody like a Panarin is hurt. Kevin Rooney should not have more goals than Kako, Lafreniere, Mika Zibanejad, and all these other guys. All right, what was the stat you told me about Mark Stahl? Mark Stahl has four points. I think he has the same amount of points as Zibanejad and Lafreniere combined. That's terrible. It is. There's no other way to say that. Now, he's got a, a bigger role in Detroit, but Mark Stahl should not have four points. When Well, no, Mark Stahl should have four points. That's not the problem. The problem is... Two of the Rangers, you know, perceived top offensive players coming into the season have four points combined. Ugh. So, looking forward, the Islanders played the Sabres twice, Monday and Tuesday. Again, Sabres are terrible. These are games that the Islanders should win. We've seen in the past where the Islanders should win and they don't win. The Rangers have a, a, a few days off. They don't play, I don't think, till Tuesday against, is it the Devils? If that game happens. If it happens, it is. the Today's game is postponed. Yes. Or, yeah, today's game is postponed against the Flyers. Their next scheduled game right now is Tuesday against the Devils. If that happens. That's a must-win game. Because the Devils are one point behind the Rangers, but they have three games in hand, four games in hand, something like that. You got to win that game. Because you got to pin the Devils a little bit before, because they have games to make up. So that's a must-win. The Islanders-Sabres is interesting, too, because these teams have had so long of a layoff now that either they come out so fresh or they come out so sloppy. And if they come out sloppy, even the Rangers who are struggling will make the Devils pay. Even the Islanders will make them pay Like if, if they were struggling because sloppy play leads to goals. But if they come out fresh and rejuvenated, it's tough. I mean, I look at it as I feel like the Sabres are going to come out sluggish and make mistakes. The Islanders are too hot right now where, like I said, they had 42 shots on goal yesterday. They're a hard-hitting team. They brought the pace of play, and they have momentum going into these two games back-to-back against a Sabres team that's 100% beatable. So I think if the Islanders score first, yesterday was the first time all year the Islanders won a game without scoring first. 
Marchand scored first, opened the game. This was the first game the Islanders won after not scoring the first goal of the game. So it just goes to show how much better the Islanders are when they do score first. And against the Sabres team, Allmark's been good. I'm assuming we'll see Allmark and Hudden. Is Hudden even healthy? I don't know. Either goal, I don't know. Whatever. But I'm assuming we see Allmark or Hudden. And Sorokin may play in one of these games. And this is a glorious opportunity for Sorokin to get NHL win number one. But it was spoken about yesterday with Trot. Is there a possibility that Sorokin goes down to the AHL? He said it has not been discussed yet, but anything is possible. Now, if they think Sorokin can get some games played and, and work on his game, sure. But I think it also stems from, let's see how he does it. If he gets into a game, let's see how he does against the Sabres. Because if he plays really well, that's okay. Why are we sending him, why are we sending him down if he's going to help us? But if he struggles or this little things that the coaching staff sees, then yeah, go down to Bridgeport and work on your game. We'll have Corey Schneider back up. But it didn't seem like the Islanders wanted Schneider to play in a game. So I, I, I can't see him getting action. See, I think it depends more on if they feel comfortable with Schneider. Because in my opinion, if he's going to be their starter in Bridgeport, which he will be, he's going to be playing every night. That's how he developed. That's how Shesterkin developed and became that goalie towards the end of the season. It might be better for his development on North American ice and just to get confidence back to go down to the AHL, get some games in. Because right now you can't get better when you're sitting on the bench. So maybe, like, even if he looks good against Buffalo and gets his first NHL win, if they feel like Schneider could be a serviceable backup, why not get him the games? He's not playing right now. It's clearly Semyon Varlamov is their number one guy, and rightfully so, the way he's played this year. So why not let Sorokin get games in? I, I agree with that, but we saw in the game against the Capitals where Varlamov looked terrible and gave up five goals in the second period. And it was just an, his worst game of the year. Schneider did not come into that game. Well, that's that's and that's a mistake in my in my opinion anyway. I think that if they had faith in Schneider, because that's the time for Schneider to get work to see if he could do anything at the NHL level still, and you didn't put him into that game. I mean, then wh- why are you gonna have him as a backup? I get it though. I mean, it also goes back to Ken Sorokin go to the AHL because Varlamov's been playing so damn well. If Varlamov was struggling, the Islanders really don't have a choice. They need Sorokin up here to play. But because Varlamov's been playing so well and he started the majority of games and will continue to start as he stays high. Well, that's um, why they have the opportunity now. They should take advantage of it. Even if it's for four games, just let him get four games. Let him come back up as a backup having played. Because now he's yeah. cold. No, you, know, I, you know full well a cold goalie is. It's tough. Good. It's a tough thing to come into, especially when you've only played, what, three NHL games? Yeah. Let him get some action. You want to you hear a stat that really just ticked me off? I was looking at NHL.com. Let's hear it. The Rangers are allowing 2.54 goals per game this season. That's pretty damn good. Yeah. They're scoring 2.38. This is a team that was fifth in the NHL last year, 3.33 goals per game. This is a team that I said offense was a juggernaut. We jinxed it. Good. (laughs) I'm I'm so happy about that. You got to figure something out. There's got to come a time where the coaching staff gets blamed for some of this. I mean, the Islanders are scoring 2.46 goals a game, but they're allowing 2.46 goals a game. So uh, that's better. They're not undercutting themselves. But at the same time, I would love to see this offense get to about 2.6 goals per game and this defense allowing around 2.4. I think that would be great. The Islanders – listen, the Islanders are a team that when they lose, they beat themselves. And it's due to defensive miscues. And they don't, you know, they don't bury enough of their opportunities. They had, you know, yesterday there was an empty net and Sezikis passed it back to Clutterbuck, who passed it back to Sezikis. They just they were too self selfless. 
and it didn't go in, but unfortunately the Islanders did get did have a two goal lead. So yep. it's okay. But looking back on so many chances, like I said, when Marchant and Bergeron get shots in the slot and they don't miss, the Islanders have a f- really a few guys where that's going to be a okay, that's a sure goal. And I don't know how we fix that. I don't know how the Islanders fix that. But at the same time, you got to get when you get opportunities that wide open, you can't miss the net. You know, the Islanders have a ton of guys that just miss the net wide yep. or miss the net high in prime chances, and it's okay. The red thing with the white—that's that's the net. That's where you're trying to score, and I, I get it. It's a fast game; things happen fast. You have to release it at quick, quick, and at the exact right time to put it where you want it to go. But if the Islanders can start making—I mean, we already talked about their stats. They make them. They make. They score on a lot of their opportunities percentage-wise. Like they get the, the fewer opportunities in a game, but on those opportunities they score. Whatever that stat is, that crazy advanced stat. But you see, they get 42 shots on goal last night, and they scored four times. They're not going to get 42 shots on goal on a lot of teams. They're going to be yeah. around 30-something shots on goal. But it's not quantity. It's the quality of your shots. You could have 60 shots on net. If they're all from the outside, and the goalie looks it looks easy for him, it doesn't mean anything. But they had a, high, a lot of high-danger chances on Rask last night, and they scored them. And against a Sabres team that you know hasn't really shown much of anything, besides that Olmark is actually a respectable goalie at this league, and he's playing well, the Islanders could do what they did again and just fire everything. And again, once Rask led in Everly's goal, my mindset was shoot everything on this guy. And they did. That was the game plan. Take shots when they could create. Because Islanders have been, Islanders have lost the Bruins in the past because they've gotten five or six good chances and that's it. And they don't capitalize. So it was a great game, but they have to bring that game against the Sabres. I'm not saying you need 42 shots on goal, but you need to just pressure. Offensive zone pressure is something the Islanders rarely have done. And if they could do that against a Bruins team that is so dominant and has been so dominant with Pasternak backing, because the first time these two teams played, Pasternak was out, then they could really dominate against any team. It just comes, can they bring that game each time? And that's that what the NHL is. It's consistency. And in a season that's 56 games only, if you are inconsistent, you will not do much. Correct. And and you mentioned the high danger chances. I know you're not the, the biggest Stephen Valaket fan, but he put out a uh, a tweet that, said in that first game when the Rangers lost 3-2 in OT, the Rangers were expected to get over 5.7 goals in that game, and they scored two. Now, you could say Rask played really well, which he did, but you got to finish. I mean, it just comes down to finishing your chances. They they gave up 3.14 goals per game last season. They're down to 2.5. This should be a team in the playoffs. But you can't score. You got to finish your damn chances. It, it just comes down to that. And you got to, uh, on the bench, they have to figure out a new schematic to get them going. You, you have to move some pieces around right now. Uh, I mean, Colin Blackwell t- taking Buchnevich's spot on the first line. Why? Buchnevich has been consistent. It, it just, there's some moves that still get made that you're scratching your head. But at the same time, I look at Jacques Martin, who's their defensive coach, and I yeah. say, what a job he's done taking their penalty kill up to sixth. Their goals per game's way down. Maybe they should make him the next head coach. You really want Quinn gone? I just don't like any of the decision making thing, and I don't think when you think of a good coach such as a Barry Trotz, yeah, their ability to get the best out of players who we don't regard as stars is what makes the difference. Quinn Correct. has gotten nothing out of players who should be stars. That to me is a very bad mark on his record. Alexei Lafreniere has not developed. Capo Caco has not developed offensively. Philip Edel finally showed some glimpses this year. 
Mika Zibanejad has struggled mightily. That's not on Quinn entirely, but that is, you know, you got to put him in some certain situations. There hasn't been enough young talent that's taken a step that we should think, especially when you look at other teams and their young talent. Like Tim Stutzler already played four, has four goals or whatever it is. Granted, he played before this tournament. Uh, he played in the World Junior Tournament, so he had some games, unlike Lafreniere. But they're putting him in situations to get that opportunity, and they're getting the, their coaching staff is getting the most out of him. Quinn has never had that. He's never had a player come in and shine. I think that's a detriment. And I think when you have somebody who is an NHL coach and Jacques Martin has coached for years, has shown his ability to control the young defensive corps and give them a system that they can play that legitimately has shut down opposing teams. They have, I don't, I can't remember the last time they got shelled outside of that opening night game. They've been in every single game defensively. It's their lack of offense. To me, put him up. I'm sure he could figure out a system or a coaching staff around him that could help him get the offense going. That's just my opinion. I, I mean, welcome to your TED Talk because you nailed, you nailed everything there. I Again, we've talked about it. Do you think it comes back to him being a collegiate coach and it's a different type of – but see, you would, you would think, though, that he gets young talent all the time when he coached in college. And he developed them. It's different, though, because there you're developing them to go to the NHL. Now you have to develop these kids that have dominated at every level. Against men. To, uh, to be good against men. Very rarely do you see a McDavid, Eichel, Matthews that can come into the league and just torch it. right? You usually do have a learning curve. But at the same time, the learning curve shouldn't be one goal, one point in your first 13 NHL games. Like. Kako shouldn't have had that learning curve last year that was that bad, especially with the ice time situation that he was getting. It's just there comes a point where you want to teach the young kids responsibility, but you also want to give them a chance to be the talented players and the reason they were drafted one and two. To me, it doesn't look like he has that chance. Lias Anderson, where is he now? Right? Uh, there's so many young players that they've picked that just what happened. And to me, it all comes back to the man they have behind the bench right now. I mean that's a great way to end our our Ranger talk. I mean that's I mean you look you look at the Rangers and it's their defenses have to do everything, and they're getting good goaltending now. I mean you know Kyrgyzstan slipped up, but they're getting good goaltending now, and it's really just the veterans. The veterans need to lead the way to get the youngsters to to follow in their footsteps, and you're just not getting that. And it's unfortunate because this Ranger team could be in the playoffs right now, could be in a top four spot. It just can't win those close games. You look at the Islanders, the Islanders are getting points in those close games, whether it be wins or shootout losses or losses in overtime when the Islanders were struggling. They lost two games back-to-back to the Flyers. So they have won one of them. Yeah, they should have, but they got points. And Trotz said, just in a year like this, yes, you don't want to lose games that you, you think you should win without collecting points. Look at this division. Last place in Eve, 10 points for the Sabres. Fourth place, Islanders with 15. I mean, there's no room the, really for failure. There's not. The Islanders are 6-4-3. and three. The Rangers are 4-6-3. and three. That could very easily be switched. And yeah. what I'm saying is it comes a point where, yes, you need your big names to step up, and that no matter who's behind the bench, Zibanejad has to look in the mirror right now and say, I got a bear down score. Somebody that scored five goals in a game last year, had about three hat-tricks last season, should be able to score at will right now and should be able to help his team find the back of the net. And it's getting to the point where excuses, excuses go out the window. You got to bear down. 
But it also goes if we had those contributions and we had better power play schematics and we had a better offensive output, they'd be in third place in this division. I say bless you on the Rangers, but only you. Sneeze on the truth. <laughs> Sneeze on the truth. Hey, you're 100% right. And it's a perfect way to wrap this episode up on this beautiful Valentine's Day morning, Brendan. So, again, as always, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you're flying. You, you don't look that tan, though. I, I tan whiter. Does that even make any sense? I, I laid out in the sun, right? I was doing my work, laid out in the sun with my friend. He looks tan. Me, I look like a leprechaun. And you're not even Irish. And I'm not. I, I don't get it. My body doesn't tan. All I do is I go from white to red back to white. There's no middle. Thanks to everybody that tuned in to this edition of the Back Check. We'll see you guys again on Wednesday.